Podcasting from our secret compound in Silicon Slopes, Utah, overlooking the entire Utah Tech Corridor, this is the Utah CTO Show. Bite-sized interviews with Utah's tech leaders where we dig into the growth of the Utah tech scene, the stories behind some of the greatest local successes, and the secrets to growing tech leadership in Utah. And now, here are your hosts, Chris Jenkins and Brett Flake. Hello, and welcome back to the Utah CTO Show. I'm Brett. This is Chris. Hey, guys. And we are here again with uh, Cindy Tetro. She's the founder, president, and board member of the Women Tech Council. Sydney, go ahead and tell us about the Women Tech Council. Yep, I'd love to. So the Women Tech Council is a, um, a nonprofit organization that we created about 12 years ago, which is interesting because it was in a different time for women in tech um, than today. But we really saw this opportunity to create an organization that focused on the economic impact of women in technology. So the organization focuses on that, and it's really about the partnership between men and women because all of our careers are built together, right? And so it's about how do we help increase the number of women in technology, and we've really focused on creating programs that impact every stage of the economic pipeline from high school all the way to the boardroom. Can you talk a little bit more about the purposes behind trying to get more women into tech. It's one thing that in my life, and I think this is just a little visibility into me and maybe I'm being too transparent, but I haven't spent a ton of time thinking about it, right? And I think that's part of just, you know, I guess because I'm a man, I don't know. I just haven't spent a lot of time thinking about it. Now that I have daughters, like I'm thinking a lot more about it. And even in some of the teams that I've had, like the benefit that women bring to those teams is significant in, in terms of our creativity, our ability to solve problems as a team because we're, we've added that diversity of thought and experience and all of that. Like, tell us maybe a little bit more about some of the research that you guys have done to help in terms of that economic impact that you talk about that bringing more women into the workforce, especially in tech, has on, on business and, and our economy. Yeah, absolutely. And the insight that you just shared, right, is really important that you start to see that the diversity of thought changes the dynamics of the team. There's a lot of, there's a lot of data out there today. And a lot, what the data tells you is that teams, and especially even executive teams that have women on them, the companies themselves increase in both profit and revenue. So there's substantial business backing around the business decisions of diverse teams. And I think if any of us that have been on diverse teams, we see that. Yeah. Um, now, the data also tells you that only having one female doesn't tremendously change the dynamic that you actually need two mm. um, because of just the changes that happen there. But what you're really looking for, because we're all looking to build the most successful businesses and the most successful team. And when we have and when we value the diverse thought around the table, then that plays into what we're building and it becomes better. And a lot of times in consumer products, we also talk about it from the fact that women are a huge amount of the consumers in the spending dollars, even in consumer products today. And even their perspective in building those starts to change those. The data just tells you diverse team, diverse thoughts, they outperform in revenue and profit. A couple of the other numbers that are interesting. So in the state of Utah, we have almost 50% of our workforce that are women. There's a stat out there that says about 70% of our school-age children have both parents who work. Mm -hmm. So the majority of our children are also growing up in families where both men and women are working. And in the technology sector, only 23% of technology jobs are filled by women. And at the executive level, less than 5%. So would that mean that women are taking jobs that maybe aren't the high-paying tech jobs? It's more different jobs. That's right. Exactly. Because yeah. we have, you know, well, and women in Utah work equally as much as men. So we, we have yeah. definitely yeah. have that, right? <laughs> and I think... They might not have thought about the pathways previously. There's a lot of change now. Like in the state of Utah today, um, if you go to a state school 
and you go through a tech degree. And then when you graduate, you take a tech job in Utah. The state of Utah will pay you back for every year you stay in your tech job, your tuition. So you could basically go to school for free if you pursue a tech degree in the state of Utah today. So we now have programs like that that also create incentives for students to go into tech degrees. So I hadn't heard that before. I I don't know how many people have heard that. I assume you guys are marketing this and sharing this out quite a lot, but that's big. It's really big. It's It's a fairly new bill. It went into effect in January of this year. Yeah. And so for anyone who is doing that, you should absolutely be thinking about that. Our tech jobs pay 137% of average. Yeah. Um, And that's a big deal. And when you think about the fact that Utah's population is going to double over the next 20 years, right, and the opportunities that we really have that are fueled by the tech sector, and tech has so many jobs, right? It's not all just engineering. I mean, you were talking about business development and product management and UX designers and marketing and writers. I mean, we have every skill you could possibly need in technology. Around the Women's Tech Council specifically, um, what things are you doing to help bring in more women into tech? So when we look at the talent pipeline, we try to create programs that impact every stage of the talent pipeline because there's different attrition reasons at every stage. So let's take, for example, the high school girls. We have a program that we focus on for ninth through 12th grade high school girls. We've had about 15,000 girls come through the program over the last six years, Um, about 3,000 on an annual basis. We kicked it off yesterday at 100 high school girls that all represent all the high schools around the mm-hmm. state together last year and yesterday. And that program is really focused on STEM activation. What the high school girls tell us is one of the number one reasons they don't choose STEM is they have no role models and they know no women in tech. Yeah. And that's a really big indicator. If you don't see things you can become, it's very hard to understand how that maps to a possibility. So our high school program is very much focused on STEM activation. And it's really cool. We have started to see in the state of Utah scholarship applications and Sterling Scholar apps. Lashitech is the reason they chose STEM. Oh, wow. And so it's making a marked difference. If those girls participate in our internship program in the summer, we have about 50 to 70 girls every summer in the internship program. 90% of those girls choose STEM. And 90% of the girls who come through Shitech now have an interest in STEM degrees. So we try to give them all of these touch points throughout their high school years to really show them. So we created a, a campaign last year called Your Dreams in Tech. Because what I want the young women to know is that no matter what you're interested in, technology is a part of it. Target has 700 engineers or more than that today. I can't name a company in the world today that does not have a technology group as a very important part of it. So whatever you love, dance, sports, medicine, rocket science, technology is core. So we can inspire you by program. So the early stage pipeline, we focus on that activation and those role models. Yeah. So I wonder, what are the specific problems or rather the problems that are unique to women in Utah and tech in breaking into the field? You know, like, I wonder if there's a lot of stigma around working mothers, kind of touched on that a little bit, and 50% of the workforce is female in Utah. But how much of that is affecting younger girls who are wanting to get into tech or would want to if they knew it was an option? I, I guess that's kind of what you're saying. But. I mean, I think you always have elements in any culture right, that play into conversation. Mm-hmm. I think we, as stewards of growth and as stewards of becoming responsible participants in our community, are responsible for making sure that all of those young women around us and all of the women around us understand that their talents can be used in many ways to create strong impact. Um, and, I, and I think that no matter you know what paths you decide in your life, what you want are really great skills to apply everywhere, mm-hmm. right? And so obviously, you know, we come from a culture where, but I think it's changing, yeah. right? I think our young women are growing up in in a, a world that is different than that. That 
A lot of them now, I mean, more than 70% of them come from families where both parents are working, the mm-hmm. circumstances of their family situations. And what we want those young women to know is that we know that they have the talent to become successful. I think the other question you're kind of asking is what does that dynamic look like as you go into tech companies? Because there still are so few women. Yeah. Right. And I think one of the responsibilities also sits on our male counterparts to make sure that the environments in those engineering teams are very inclusive. Um, I was reflecting just even a, an hour ago on one of those things even shows up in the types of activities the teams do to build team building. Yeah. Right. So how do we right. make sure we're sensitive in the fact that there are diverse people around the table who have different thoughts and different needs and different ways that we should think about driving um, inclusion in those teams? Because I do think as you build diverse teams, it is super important that everyone becomes aware of either biases that they have right, that are just built into them, but also that our companies are strongly investing in creating cultures that it's expected and required that we value all of that talent around the table. Because there is a stat out there that says about 40% of women after seven years in technology stay working but leave tech. And they leave for culture reasons. Yeah. So along those lines, there was a study that came out of, I think it was out of the UK, that um, that said that as much as a third of women in the workplace or in technology workplace specifically had been told that they only got the job because they were women. And so I, I think there is a lot of resentment out there from females, male counterparts in tech that uh, – of diversity hires. And what would you say to those people? I think we touched on a little bit because diversity, just having that diversity increases revenue, increases the the company's profile in general. But what would you say specifically to people that have that kind of feeling of resentment, I guess? So I think they're a comment on both sides. So first of all, I think it should be expected from anyone that we work with on any of those teams that they respect all of the people. Mm -hmm. As a woman who has come through Tech Pathways, I only want them to hire me for my skills, mm-hmm. right? I believe the play, the field should be level and that you should hire me for the skills that I have. And I think we should really stand up to people and talk about the reason that that is an unacceptable way to talk to people who are taking those jobs because there are, are a lot of talented people, there's talented women and there's talented men, right? And we need them on our teams and we need them to feel like they're included and belong. It does require a change in our engineering culture. So there's no yeah. doubt about it. Right. Because just of how the nature of how they, they grew up, right, and they now have what I'd consider unintended consequences, that the only way you address is by us being aware. And I think one of the most important things that is changing the cultures are the teams that are both talking about it and making everyone aware of what is required to create inclusive environments. Because there are also environments that are, you know, people are building companies that where you have teams where no one feels valued, right, right? men or women. Yep. Right. So there's all of these like working components, but every female that I know in tech, they want to be hired for their skills and they're talented enough and they can stand up to anyone else who's there. Um, And we don't want people to to say, right, this was because of a quota. You want them to believe that that person can do their job and expect that they will perform their job as a valued team member. We talked about at the beginning, um, you know, before we got into the podcast, actually, about, you know, the, the name being Women Tech Council, Women's Tech Council, not Utah Women's Tech Council. I'm curious, you know, how does Utah stand up, though, in the nation in terms of women in tech and getting women into that that career path? So numbers-wise, we sit only a handful of percentage behind the national average for women in tech. So nationally, there's about 27% of the tech workforce mm-hmm. that women are women. In Utah, it's about 23%, which is an interesting note that yeah. we're not that far off. At the executive levels, it's 5% everywhere. 
Um, there's no one that has kind of made that because there are so many reasons along the um, technical or along the talent pipeline for um, the reasons that we lose kind of women along the way. Um, but Utah is doing a lot. I would say from the Women Tech Council perspective, we've been doing this for 12 years and we have amazing tech companies that are investing very heavily in changing both cultures and talent and recruiting. And we see that show up in everything from best practices that we are working to push out to everyone in the community. Right. I'll give you a couple examples. Uh, we have a best practice form. So we try to capture best practices <laughs> and push them yep. out. And you'll see things like Pluralsight deployed a best practice around every job description goes through a gender decoder. Mm-hmm. Because there are certain terms and job descriptions that attract one candidate over another. And they're probably things we don't even think about. Right. Right. And so, okay, that's an interesting best practice. Yeah. So we've seen those. You've seen it companies like Adobe who have gone to six-month paid maternity leave and and equal paid family leave or paternity leave. Okay, that's a massive change. Yeah. Right. And what that creates is support for anyone who needs to support family or having a child or adopting, whatever life circumstance is. And those are creating really inclusive cultures um, along the way. And there's just best practice after best practice that is really changing what our companies are doing to attract talent. Yeah, kind of along those same lines with best practices. There's a lot of things out there that are just like very indirectly impacted and it's really hard to see. For example, giving um, a male um, a male employee uh, flexibility doesn't seem like that would be directly impact a female uh, worker being able to work. But, you know, in if if my wife, you know, is trying to break into the industry, me having a flexible um, work schedule is going to allow her, you know, me to pick up the kids from school and her to be, you know, at these kind of lower level entry level careers that require, you know, that require her to be there present that aren't as flexible as, as, say, my job. That's right, because she's just not there quite yet as she builds into that. I think you make a really important point. I think the changes that are happening that are driven by the impacts that are coming out are helping everyone. Yeah. Right. They help all of us become better because we're all trying to figure out that life balance, right, and building our careers. And it's true. When you start your, you know, your first career jobs, you're usually required in the office more. But even flexibility in there. I was talking to a young mom the other day. And she she was really worried about asking the question of, hey, can I drop my daughter off at preschool and come in at 10? I'll get up and work earlier, but can I have that flexibility to work from home? And But she went and asked, and gratefully, he's, her boss who is a, was a guy who said, he said yes. right? And so that is a switch because a lot of old school companies grew up with people must be kind of butts in seats in order to mm-hmm. see where they are. And I'm really a person who views like you have a job. And if you can get your job done, I'm not sure I care where you will do it because yeah. I want that, right? I can't tell you how many – I think I did it today too, right? I took like multiple conference calls from my car. My car is also my like remote office, <laughs> yeah. right? I got my connectivity. I've got my laptop. But it doesn't matter if I'm at my son's soccer game or if I'm in a tournament. Because And, my, you know, my style for my family became I try to work when, you know, during the day. I always worked from home on Fridays when I first had my children and then today, I usually try to be home in the evening so that I'm home with my kids while they need me for homework and activities and carpool from kind of 5 to 10. Because in technology, I can get back online and work mm-hmm. when they go to bed. And they don't care if I work from 10 till 1 or 2 right? because yeah. they don't notice that. And so what technology, I think, gives us also as a career is this flexibility. And for me, it also matches things that I care about. You know, I, now, in my career, I also take things like lots of red-eye flights. Because I want to be at my kid's soccer game or their basketball mm-hmm. game. 
And if I'm there and I tuck them in bed and I leave at midnight, so I do a lot of day trips to the <laughs> East Coast this way because my kids notice less. Right? And technology, because of its connected capabilities, allows yeah. me to do that. And I think that we all need a stronger awareness of the balance we're all trying to create and the practices that allow us to support that. Yeah. Because I agree with you. I think the changes help everyone. Right. right. They help you and your family and your wife. And I look at the the people that are on my women tech council team. My team's really remote. We have from Germany to Hawaii and everywhere in between. And I have all these talented women who are working on that team and they also have families yeah. and we give them the opportunity to be able to support both of those in a really great way. Um, and I think that's really important. And I, th- I think one of the things that also for me on the women tech council, I know you probably want to ask me a question, but I'm just going to tell you this one. <laughs> no, thought, go ahead. Um, is that, <laughs> I think it's also really important to invest in diversifying our networks. So we tend to hire who we know, and our network is, tends to be that way. And I think one of the calls to action that we can all be much better at is meeting new people. Yeah. So how do you put yourself in circumstances where you meet other talent that you wouldn't naturally run into? Because when that happens, you start even developing more diverse teams. When I look at the last two companies I built as I've been you know, involved with the Women Tech Council, one of the things I didn't appreciate would happen is how diverse my network would become the thousands of other women that I would meet and that would become part of my ecosystem. So my 3D printing company, more than 50% of my executive team are women. And today I think I have more than 70% of my executive team that are women. Not because I did something special, but because I have invested for a long time in building a network of lots of other talented people. And so all that talent you find and you build relationships and you help drive connection. And I think that's one of the things that will help build more diverse teams is investment from all of us and other people that are our natural networks and where we go to make relationships. Yeah, that's very interesting. I, I think that just my own experience recently, my wife, you know, she talks to me a lot about the work that she's doing. And she's a designer. Um, stay-at-home mom is really the, the main job that she has, but, but does a ton for people around uh, design work. And she recently went to one of those events where it was like, hey, we're getting a bunch of people together that do design. And it's specifically women that do design. And uh, it was interesting that she came away with like four or five contacts that were offers to do different jobs or connections with other people. Like it was just really helpful to spend that time getting to know other people doing a lot of the same things because they're not all doing the exact same thing. Yep. They're all doing it you know, slightly differently. And so I think that's, that's huge. One of the questions that I was thinking of asking you before the podcast was you touched on this a little bit in the beginning, you know, getting – younger women, young girls involved in tech. And it was interesting as we were talking about code.org and, you know, some of these other activities, unicorn, you know, app people can use. Like, what are some of the things that we can do as parents or in our communities to help young girls get those role models or see that, you know, tech is a a viable career path and exciting? what What can we do? What do you what do you preach? What do you share with people that ask you, how do I get my daughter's or young girls in the area interested in tech? I think the one of the best things we can do is create hands-on experiences. Because when you see that you have the power to create and innovate, your mind starts going to places that it can't until you see you have the power of creation. And I think that's what you see. So we, we have one thing that everyone always loves. We do an instant snow experiment, which is basically just a polymer, right? A yeah. fast-absorbing polymer. We make instant snow. We make instant snow like every time we go anywhere. And <laughs> there isn't one person, young or old, who does not love instant snow, yeah. right? But it awesome. is. But at the core of it, it's science, yep. right? And so this ability to put that in your hand. We try to find places where everyday things 
are using technology or create hands-on experiences. We were talking about things like the Unicorn, which has got the Scratch app. There's all of these programmable robots today. And the Unicorn is kind of like a Lego. You build it and then you can program it. But the Scratch code the kids get. And so they come in and it has predefined ones. I was telling you like Angry Unicorn and Musical Unicorn. (laughs) And the kids like love them and then they go in and make their own. And so all of a sudden they see that they have the power to control something that they also built. So I think anytime that you can create an environment where they get hands-on tech. And you can do it in everyday things. Last Halloween, we, we did a segment on one of the television stations taking Halloween candy and making them science experiments. Yeah. And because there's all sorts of really interesting things that you can do with just everyday things like that. So I think it takes a little investment from us. But I also think as parents, we can do a really great job of putting our kids in situations where they get exposed to new things. Right. So how do we take advantage? And it takes a little more effort right, to figure out what types of things are going there and how to get your kids into programs. I watch the young women who are part of my student board for SheTech. And because they get involved there, the opportunities they have to see so many different things, it just changes their world. Last week, we took a handful of them to see Ellen at Plural Mm Sites Conference. Last year, we took girls to Malala. We've taken girls to see Michelle Obama when she came in, to concerts, to Adobe's campus, to iHeartTech, into the you know Silicon Slopes Tech Summit, you name an event, the girls get exposure. And when they get that, their perspective on the world changes. So anything we can do to put them in situations and then give them the power of creation, I think that changes. And I think that's the investment that we that we can and should make. And it's in tiny connections. We presented last week at the United Nations meeting. Mm-hmm. And um, in that United Nations we had a booth and we were showing she tech stuff. People from all over the world are coming by and they, they, we gave them hands on experiences also. And then they see that and they see the connection to tech and then they relate it to their community and they see how technology is going to enable sustainable communities. And I think that's the connection we can do better at as communities and as parents. If we invest in creating the connections, the kids see the possibilities. So Sid, thank you so much for being here on the Utah CTO show. You're doing some fantastic things. We love what you're doing for the community. We love what Utah is doing to just sort of lead the way in this as best we can. And, and the work that you're doing is definitely helping there. If somebody wants to help volunteer with the Women's Tech Council, how can they get a hold of you and, and maybe be a part of something, some event that you're doing where they could help and volunteer? Yeah, absolutely. So womentechcouncil.org. You can become a member. Membership's free. The community is really supported by all of our companies, our tech companies um, in the ecosystem. But there are so many ways to participate, whether it's mentoring and volunteering with programs like SheTech, which I think you did. I did, yeah, well, <laughs> a year and a half ago or something like that. It was it was a lot of fun. In fact, I, I wished, I regretted a little bit afterwards that I didn't bring my daughter. Mm-hmm. She was nine, I think, at the time or something like that. But yeah, that, it was a fantastic event. So many young women, all hands-on experiments, and it seemed like they were very excited. I actually learned about it neighbor's Facebook post oh, really? and said, hey, my daughter's going to be there. And uh, so I looked into it and was like, oh, they're looking for volunteers. Yeah, maybe I'll show up and see what happens. And anyway, it was really, really good. Well, and I think that's awesome because the community of Inspiring is actually made by, together by men and women. Yeah. And I think that's a really important thing that this isn't about building any isolation between communities. Right. It's about an integrated effort. And that's why I think it's important for all of us to have conversations and think about it because that's how we'll change what becomes possible. Um, but there's lots of ways to participate. There's programs at every stage, whatever anyone's interested in. And it really takes our effort, of inv- all of our community effort, the tech community, investing to make the changes. Yeah, well, thanks again. We really appreciate you being here. Appreciate you coming on twice. This has been a fabulous experience for us. And if you're listening to the Utah CTO Show, please go give us five stars. Leave a comment. Subscribe. Um, we'd love to hear from you and, and appreciate you helping get, get the word out. 
Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. If your computing infrastructure is running in a cloud service like AWS or Azure, you've likely sunk time into manually configuring and maintaining a monitoring tool. Tasks like understanding baselines, fine-tuning thresholds, and examining visualizations for defects require significant time and effort, taking time away from your most important priorities. Wouldn't it be nice if you could automate this monitoring and alerting process? That's where Blue Matador comes in. Unlike all other monitoring tools on the market, Blue Matador eliminates the need to manually configure alerts. After a quick onboarding, Blue Matador instantly discovers all of your resources, automatically creates hundreds of alerts out of the box, and proactively notifies you of critical production issues. This saves you massive amounts of time and ensures that you'll always know the health of your cloud services. And right now, they are providing a special offer to our listeners here on the Utah CTO Show. Just head to bluematador.com slash show. Sign up for a free trial and integrate your AWS account or Kubernetes account for 14 days, and they will send you $100. They are so confident that you'll love their product that they are offering our listeners 100 bucks just to try it. So go to bluematador.com slash show to start your free trial today. Terms and conditions apply.